Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey guys, hey 99ers, are you guys willing to change your fan base name? Because we have a new podcast on Patreon, podcast like it's 1989, and we're looking to turn some of you 99ers into 89ers. That's the hope, uh, that you're interested in hearing us talk about some of the best films of 1989, uh, from Batman to When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, Field of Dreams, Major League, with great guests like Tom Meissen and Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Chuck Hayward, Brian Cogman. Uh, you can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For $5, you'll get access to audio for all of these fantastic episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 99 episodes as well as our 89 episodes. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskov, and with me today is David Iserson, writer, producer on New Girl, Mad Men, Mr. Robot, co-writer of The Spy Who Dumped Me, and he's here to talk to us today about episode 216, Was It Good For You? Um, but before we get into this episode, David, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on Sex and the City. Did sure. you watch it back in the day? Did it come into your life later? Um, so I, I came to Sex and the City is similar to The Sopranos because I, I don't think I had HBO at the time. So I, I feel like I, I popped into both of those shows around like season three and season four and then, and then went back. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I think I had heard, you know, I, I knew of Sex and the City, but I was in, I was, I was in college and I had had no way of watching it so uh so yeah so I, I eventually i eventually saw it all but probably not in its initial order and i've like gone through the series i don't know maybe like a decade ago but like when we when i watched this episode to talk about this i hadn't seen a sex in the city episode for for some time i so first of all it should be said um you are our first straight male coming on this podcast for this show. Um, so I really what, what about you, Phyllis? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Uh, other than the host, um, I, I and and I want to kind of get that perspective a little bit as well, right? Which is that yeah. there there is this unfortunate or however you want to call it, this sort of idea that this show is only made for women and and gay people is really kind of this moniker that the show lives under in a lot of ways yeah. and i think that a lot of guys would either watch this show with their girlfriends or you know 
I guess my, my, the reason I bring this up is I feel like to some degree or another, I'm a little bit of an anomaly. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering whether or not you feel as though this show sort of speaks to straight men in the same way that it, you know. That it's yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the anomaly card. I, I don't, I, 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 uh, I do not think I speak for straight, for, for straight men as, as a, as a monolith. I think that, I think that like my, uh, my, my TV and film and book, habits and on also what I've worked on as a writer. I think, sure. I think I am, I, I think the fact that I am straight is one of the very few straight things about me, about my tastes. So, sure, sure. um, so, so, sure. so, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't pinpoint, I can't, I can't say that, um, yeah, I mean the the sort of I, famous famous Eiserson story is that when my brother came out, my parents thought we thought you were the gay one. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I guess the reason I asked the question is because I do feel like I just feel like men are threatened by this show, and 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 I, and, and I think that. Part of that is to do with the fact that, you know, your four leads are all women, um, that for, you know, for being honest, for most of the first two seasons of this show, uh, the men were punchlines. They were sort of this revolving door of boyfriends and stuff like that, that, you know, th- they weren't as substantive characters as the as the women were on the show. Um, all of this is not an excuse, nor is it a reason why men should feel threatened by it. But do you think that there is something to that idea? Well, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to think about how... What how few tell what few television shows of this era, or t- or even films are like feel like it at least had the the sheen of being cool and being a part of culture and it was not made for straight men at all. It was there was not like there was not a way in. You know, it's like even you watch a you know even watching a romantic comedy, it's like they're you know they. You know, it's like, it's like, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sports scenes in my best friend's wedding. Like it, like, there's just like a few <laughs> things to be like, oh, well the boyfriends, you got to yeah. give them something or else they're going to walk out, which yeah. is, which is obviously not a thing that, um, that culture at this time did for women with stuff that was specifically made for men. But I think, I think that, I think it was threatening because there may have just been something that was so, um, you know, you know, certainly there were many shows that were very much felt like they were marketed towards women, but not a show that like was on, you know, that was on this edgy network and it had like sex in it and it had nudity in it. I mean, there was, there was it, but it was not for straight men. So I think that that is, that that was the very bold choice that they made. And I still think, I I think that there is a way that this show is very, um, I, I, I think, I think the show is slightly responsible for as it, went on and and what it kind of became in its movies that it it is a little bit more it it was seen as um a lot broader and more candy colored and a little bit less like because this episode like I was just taken aback by how like like gritty it felt like film grain kind of gritty but like I think I think people view what sex in the city kind of became as what sex in the city is and so it just allowed straight men to also be like oh I was right for not liking that show I was right for like dismissing that show for sure I mean I think that you know one of the ongoing sort of themes throughout this miniseries really has been how groundbreaking the show was at the time um and how perhaps not as groundbreaking it seems now, obviously. I mean, it's been yeah. 20 years and lots of things have changed. And and one would argue that the show, sorry, the movies, their tone deafness and they're sort of not reading the room in terms of various things um, has left, to your point, this kind of fallout or this kind of cloud over the entire show to some degree or another. I mean, who knows what this revival will look like? I'm curious. It could be any number of things and, and we'll see when it airs perhaps sometime by the end of this year. But, you know, I, I think that that there's a depth to this show that I don't think a lot of people give credence to. Um, I think it's easy to sort of dismiss this show based on on the superficiality of it to some degree or another. Um, and, and I also think that people, and I'm, I, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this too, which is sort of the comedy versus drama, the, the broadcast versus cable narrative as well, of that idea of, you know, um, that 
a half hour isn't as substantive as an hour. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and I think this show grappled with that a little bit and broke some ground in terms of how deep and how kind of dark you could go. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think that, 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 uh, there was, yeah, there was a lot more of a strong line between what was a half hour show and what was an out, like what was a drama and what was a comedy back then. I mean, I think there is, uh, I mean, this still existed in a world where it was like contemporary to Ally McBeal yeah, and, yeah. and, and, uh, which I, which I recently rewatched that pilot and, you know, and so it did, I, I, so it did feel like it was like kind of, of part of a conversation of like, mm-hmm. of, of a show that like can kind of straddle a line between comedy and, and drama. I think, I think Sex and the City ages a lot better than Ally McBeal does, but, um, but I think I that, uh, I, I mean, it was, um, very much like for a show that, allowed itself to be, I mean, clearly was a comedy, was meant to be funny, had actual hard jokes, but um, I think that there is there was a viewpoint in a lot of comedy shows that like the success of a comedy show, if it was working, mm-hmm. um, is, is, you know, it, uh, how, how many laughs it would get. And I don't know how many laughs this show would get at a table read. I mean, I imagine like Samantha lines are kind of meant for laughs, but it was, I think what I was struck by was also like how much story um, they were trying to jam in. And not even that there was like, you will we'll get into the plot of the episode, mm-hmm. but like, it, it's like, there's very, very simple plot, but like that it hit many beats and that felt, and, and, you know, and had a lot of voiceover. And so that felt like th- there was absolutely this story could have been told an hour and like an HBO half hour is 30 heart, like 30 minutes versus 22 and verse whatever, 44. And so it, it really actually is, you know, in a world where most shows were network, then it, it, it somehow actually exists as a hybrid of length between comedy and drama. And so sort of told its story from that, from that place. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with all of that. I, I think that, you know, what's interesting is, you know, right at the same time, these two shows are, are airing, you know, um, Friends has been on for a few seasons mm-hmm. and these are both sort of like quote unquote New York shows. One actually takes place in New York. The other one is shot in Burbank. Um, you know, Friends has a very kind of idyllic, very obviously broadcasty way of looking at single life and, and what have you. Um, and this show is, to your point, taking a grittier um, dive into it. I just think it's interesting that it does feel as though this show is clumped in with a lot of sort of lighter fare. And then you watch this episode and you know, we'll get into the specifics of this episode in a minute, but I do think that um, it takes some swings. It, it goes yeah. to places that I think a lot of shows, certainly at the time, weren't. You know, you brought up The Sopranos, and, and I had Emily Nussbaum on for the first episode to talk about her New Yorker article, which tapped into sort of that idea of, you know, Sopranos premieres in 99, Sex and the City premiered in, in 98, but they're both sort of cresting at the same time they're both sort of these anti-hero shows in very different ways but like carrie is an anti-hero she's a tough character to sort of you love her because she's messy and fucked up and that's very much unlike any sort of female character protagonist had been up until that point um did you feel like you know you, you obviously have worked on on numerous comedies and you've written lots of female leads and you know watching this again did you feel some sort of connective tissue between like a new girl and a sex in the city? Did, did you feel like, uh, no, I okay. felt, I felt weirdly, I felt connective tissue between this and the Sopranos. I felt yeah, this, sure. I felt closer to that. I felt like the fact that, that, um, Carrie is a messy character, but she is narrating it that we are, we, that we get framed through her morality. I mean, this is not to like speak too much. I mean, I mean, new girl is just like another, New girl, like it's new a, girl, and shows animal, like New Girl are a different animal. But like the the thing that I think about when I think of like network sitcoms, and honestly, even a lot of um, you know prestige sitcoms that maybe weren't HBO prestige, like mm-hmm. like streamer or like Showtime shows or whatever, is still there is a real there there. 
I, you know, it's like, it's like sex is, sex is still like a last taboo about people talking very, very frankly, like people, I mean, I, I think it, it is very mainstream to talk about, um, sexuality and sexual orientation and and even maybe sexual desire to a degree mm-hmm. but actual the actual actual sex acts and being able to joke about that it still feels that that was breaking so much ground then and still feels like it breaks ground now like i don't i don't certainly see that on um Darren Star or Michael Patrick King shows going forward of like that. And I, and I can't really think of a, a, a show that unless it's kind of doing it in much more exploitative way. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of other shows that allow people to talk about sex in a way that actually, like, I don't recall my peer group doing at the time. I don't feel like, right. like, like, I, I mean, I feel like it was, it was stating a thing that I don't, I don't know how many people were actually talking as frankly about, like, I feel like it, it actually like, like led the, you know, led conversations rather than reflected conversations. But I think that the, the show that I think shares some DNA with this show, they're very different tonally, but girls is probably the only other show that I would sort of point at also an HBO show, obviously another show about four young, uh, single people in New York. But, um, you know, girls was very frank about sex in a mm-hmm. different way. Um, this this show is looking for is is trying to sort of let your freak flag fly and is is sort of poking fun at and trying to kind of take the piss out of sex to some degree or another. I think that girls is coming at it from a much more dramatic and and perhaps more substantial perspective in terms of you know the emotional fallouts and the and the complexity and the trickiness that comes with being a certain age. Um, and, and, and so I, I, I yeah. think they're very different shows, but that's the only other show that I would say. And again, no, yeah, it's, it's not a show that's it, yeah, like it's it, with laughs either. You know what I mean? Really? It's no, it is. It isn't. I mean, it does, it does still have occasional, like, you know, like hard jokes funny in moments, it, but yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I think of girls a lot more like, like a grittier friends than I do yes. like a younger sex in the city. And I think, yeah. I think it's partially cause I feel like the theme of sex in the city and this very much was the theme of this episode was like. Um, you know, it was a, you know, like a, like a, a dissection and sort of a quest for good sex in, you know, like seeing sex, like, like trying to that, that, that there was an idealized notion of like finding a good relationship, finding good sex. And that is why it is like the first word of the, of, of the title. Whereas I think, or I think girls is about, you know, just about fucked up people, and then sometimes fucked up people have fucked up sex. <laughs> yes, I would. I would agree with that. I, I think that you know this episode, which, um, well, first of all, I just I sort of did. You feel like so? You said you watched this kind of in the you know vicinity of nineteen eighty nine to some degree or another, a few years after, probably, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. deeper in its run. Um, but did you, you know? Did you feel inspired by the show? You I mean you write a lot of character, a lot of female characters, and I'm sort of curious as to whether or not it had any sort of effect on on you. I, um, hmm. I, I, it's I obviously think, fine if it didn't. I just you know. No, I mean I think I think about it like it's it's it, you know a lot of my early writing was a um like like trying to figure out a balance of how how much memoir you mm-hmm. want to do how it's like how internal you want your characters to be how much you want to be in 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 somebody's head and i think there was sort of like a lot of debate amongst you know amongst fledgling writers when i started writing about um the use of voiceover and and how to not overdo voiceover and you know and i think and i think sex in the city is an ex- you know to, is it is it extreme and does it well and it is not a criticism of it but it just it feels like probably the thing that I would was taking for it as as instructive was um, how you know how um, you know like 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 sort of the balance between what a TV script is and what a piece of prose is and I and I probably never wrote anything as prosy in my writing as sex in the city is. And then as far as like the stories and the characters and, and all of that, it, it's like, it's like some of sex in the city felt like it was meant to feel very real. And 
it still doesn't feel there's something that lacks a grounding in whether I would actually believe in these friendships. Do I believe that these people know each other? And, and um, for that, I, I, I think that I, yeah, it was probably more instructive as like a desire to probably build relationships between people that felt more organic than I think sex in the city did. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, for, for me personally, I'm not, a, I'm not a comedy writer uh, and I haven't really written in the half hour space, but you know, it, it was a show that I've rewatched many times over. I saw it, you know, uh, around the time probably that it was airing. I mean, in Canada, it's a whole thing. So mostly it was the box sets once they came out on DVD, but you know, I, I, I remember it just, it weirdly had an imprint on me. And I, and I do think that, um, that whenever I'm writing a funny female character on some level or another, I'm thinking about these characters. And I, I, yeah. I think that that's um, a testament to, to very well-drawn, very well-performed characters that just feel so defined. I mean, it's, I know it's, it's almost a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche now in terms of women that are like, which one are you? Are you a Carrie or Miranda, whatever. But like, I think that speaks volumes to the fact that the show really sort of, and I guess friends did this too, of just kind of really nailing um, different types of people um, in a way that felt specific, but universal, which is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, they are, God, I, 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 remember something that I've been like, I, I've like, I've, I've searched for this for so long to find the exact wording, but it, it, it was a, something I read many, many years ago about um, a group of four in, in, you know, in writing and, and how like so often different, you know, like, like a successful foursome will, you know, all sort of like fall into these different character types. So you can like probably map the Sex and the City archetypes onto Seinfeld, onto the Beatles, um, and um, and I'm sure other <laughs> other four group yeah. people. But like, but yes, and 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 I think it is also a thing that people did amongst our friend groups at the time, like in the late, like I. I I, I do remember thinking about in my friend group, like like who who you were. I mean, I think I think I remember it much more distinctly thinking about who you were in Seinfeld than who you are in Sex and sure, the City. Sure, but sure. but um, but I think it also take like you know. I, but I think I think more in the Seinfeld world, people like to think of themselves the center of their own universe, so would probably tend to think of themselves the Jerry. Where I think that <laughs> even though Carrie is very much the star of the show, I think those are those, the balance of those stories were such, and those characters were so distinct that I think everyone could place themselves in one of those archetypes. Um, You know, I, I'm going to give a very brief synopsis of the episode um, that we're talking about today. Uh, Carrie dates a recovering alcoholic who becomes obsessed with her. Charlotte's determined to learn how to have good sex after her latest partner falls asleep on her and drags the girls to a tantric sex class. Samantha gets an offer to have a threesome with two curious gay friends. Uh, Was It Good For You aired on September 19th, 1999. It was written by Michael Patrick King and directed by Dan Algrant. Uh, Vulture put it at number 73 of 96 episodes. Hmm. Um, So they they didn't (laughs) call that highly of it. Um, you know, I, I from from thirty thousand feet, the the things that jumped out at me a little bit, um, and I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on this too. So we're we're this is the this is episode sixteen of eighteen. There are two more episodes to come after it. Um, as I'm sure you know, you're well acquainted. Your penultimate and your ultimate episodes or season season finales, you're generally you know what you're aiming for, right? That's a thing that you're. This felt a little bit like a treading water episode. Your your third to last episodes are almost always duds because. <laughs> Well, they, well, they are because you're like, you are, you know, there's, there's, there's a school of thought, like there's the Soprano school of thought where like you do all your big moves in the penultimate or, or you do all your big moves in the, in the finale, but like you are focused on those two and you do need, you know, this isn't a serialized show in the way that you need to set up a bunch of things for the finale, but it does feel like, you know, those are, you're spending time constructing your season ender and, and these will get, there's something that felt very much like they were pulling some extra stories off of the board. I don't know. I don't know. Cause I haven't rewatched in a while. Like, was it unusual for like, 
one of them not to get a story because there was no Miranda story. Yeah. Very, yeah. Un- very unusual for that to happen. Uh, generally yeah. speaking, they all get their own storyline. Right. Um, so, you know, Miranda gets new sheets is kind of a. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Carrie, Carrie's story was kind of, it, it felt like a, a little bit of two stories jammed into each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and then, and then like, it feels a very big deal that um, Charlotte is reckoning with whether or not she's good at sex and that almost it, it rare, it doesn't like doesn't the story land. doesn't, it doesn't have yeah. a lot of beats to it. It, 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 nor does. Yeah. It's like, it's like they, they actually just burned a couple of good stories and, you know, and like Samantha, yeah, it's like, it's, it, there, there was no very little setup with Samantha's story either. So it was, it was really, it really did feel like a grab bag of like, we pitch these things they, they've been like cut from other other episodes perhaps i want to sort of w- w- i want to just kind of go at each storyline just to kind of break it down i mean we the the, the miranda thing isn't a storyline miranda buys new sheets and she's trying to create good karma for her bed um that that's 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 really her storyline which is and then and then she gets a lot of jokes in the in the sex yes. class yes. That, yes. i think yes. that they compensate it for for it by <laughs> by giving her a lot of comedy moments well, it's it's really funny what what you just said because I really do think that it is a grab bag. It's like they're like, well, they should go to a tantric sex class. Like someone pitched that in the room, and they're like, that's good. Put that up on the board, right? Yeah. So it goes on, and and I'm sure this is with your rooms too, where like you have a list of of ideas, right? Just mm-hmm. and and every now and then you go to that list when you guys are hard up for right. ideas, basically. Uh, so you know, a tantric class, sure. Uh, Samantha has some gay friends that want to have sex with her. Okay, sure. Like, there's just things that kind of, you know, Charlotte's boyfriend falls asleep on her while he's having sex. All of these things feel like ideas that are not completely fully fleshed out. The only fleshed out storyline really is Carrie's storyline. It's the only one that really has... Lost you. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? I lost you. I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. It, it it really feels like the only storyline that was really fully fleshed out was Carrie's. Yeah. Um, everybody else sort of had like funny beats, funny moments. Um, and I, I, I do think that, you know, when you're, and again, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but when you get to episode 16 of 18, you know, there's not much gas left in the tank. You're all pretty fucking burnt out. Everyone, you know, all the, all the upper levels are all focused on the last two episodes. So you tend to have sort of this like, kind of weirdo episode and this does feel that way on top of all of that we're also in a string of episodes where you know carrie and big break up about two or three episodes before this so we're in this stretch of episodes where like carrie's single and dating again but lying on the horizon is is the revelation in the next episode that big is engaged to some woman that he met in paris and it's sort of like the gut punch of the end of this season is what's carrie gonna do in a bigless world quote unquote as we go into season three so this episode feels a little bit like i mean is carrie really wondering if she's good in bed like i mean i I think that's i think it's a safe assessment that she's probably pretty good at this point but but it's just like it's it does feel a little um a little half-baked overall yeah yeah and it also felt yeah it was it it was also like very, and this might just be endemic of like second season and the show isn't a phenomenon, but it's like the guest stars are very forgettable. Oh, yeah. It's just, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it, the, you know, it feels very like, it, it feels a little like, it, it, you know, it's, it, there was almost no, I mean, I mean, Charlotte saying I signed up for a tantric sex class and I signed you all up too mm-hmm. is real sitcom-y and really doesn't yeah. feel like this show it just it's yep. like it's like you you can find a few beats of justification to mm-hmm. to like you know you, you could it, you know ideally you would make a scene where charlotte is embarrassed as she's signing up or something yep. because yep. that just felt and and the fact that all, they all go just felt way more tv than the rest of the i completely agree with you show does it's, you know it, it it's on the on the Charlotte storyline, which if we're being honest, the Charlotte storyline actually kind of pulls everything into it in a weird way. It kind of becomes the connective tissue to a lot of these storylines because the tantric sex kind of pulls them all into that space. But 
she's dating this surgeon who has had, you know, he's been working all night and he and he's tired and he falls asleep while having sex with her and it spins around. And she starts to fear that she's no good at sex. Um, so she decides, you know, as, as we've discussed, uh, to sign them up for this uh, for this tantric class. Samantha isn't surprised <laughs> that it happened to Charlotte, which I think is kind of amazing. Right. Yes. Um, and uh, the tantric sex class is very funny. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's broad and it's it's a little bit of like low hanging fruit in terms of I mean Miranda getting shot in the face with semen. These are all things that you're just sort of like that feel a little bit too the, broad for this show. Even pro, the prop guy who has never seen <laughs> semen before. <laughs> like, that too is yeah. this semen? Is, this, <laughs> is it suntan lotion? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a it's a it's but the scene itself is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it it. Uh, I was almost surprised that we hadn't been to some sort of a sex class before this at this right. point. Like yeah. we're about the 40 episodes almost into this show. So I'm a little surprised we hadn't done this yet. It is, it is wild that a show in its second season on HBO <laughs> is that deep in. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just that, that is, that's of a, just another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you have this, this, I, I, I want to assume an Eastern European woman who's running this class in some form or another, she brings her husband out in order to, to just, you know, to, uh, to do some sort of a, a massage uh, to show the class. And, you know, Miranda in this in this scene very much feels like the snarky kid in class. Yeah, like every it's it's just like it's one crack after another that's making uh, very Carrie. very disrespectful to the woman <laughs> to the woman and her husband. It, it, <laughs> I I I wonder when it was written if 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 everyone thought everyone was going to be in such. I guess they did think they were going to be in such proximity together because she gets semen in her hair. So so yeah. it's like it's like. But the way it was shot, it was like it was very jarring of like. <laughs> how how mean that was (laughs) it's literally i mean the man is as you can imagine no more than three or four feet away from her yeah and she's just mocking him relentlessly while he gets basically a hand job from his wife in front of everybody um it does have ultimately the line is funny but it's i mean cynthia nixon's delivery of uh perineum latin for not without an engagement ring is fantastic i mean this this comes back to sort of what i was saying earlier about how this show's funny on the page, don't get me wrong, but the execution of this stuff, it, you just, you, you can't give enough credit to these four actors and what they're bringing to it. Right. Um, and, and making it feel lived in and making it feel funny. Um, but yeah, so this class happens, the guy ejaculates in her hair. Uh, it, it's, it's a funny scene, um, but it's also a little bit of a like. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It almost feels like, meanwhile, on a different television show in a weird way. Like it doesn't necessarily well, really. It not, it not only does that. So it also is like Miranda's jokes are funny, but they're also not quite her voice. Like it yes, also yes. felt like. Yeah, I mean, it's a great delivery of the line, not without an engagement <laughs> ring. That doesn't actually feel like that's her character. And so and so yeah. there, there is a I, I, I was thinking I thought about this when it was announced that um, that. Uh, Kim Cattrall is not in the in the in the remake or in the reboot. Is that is that like the the uh, Samantha character is very much the um, 
a, a character that exists in a lot of sitcoms, which is the the writer's surrogate. It's what, sure. you know what Schmidt was on on um, a New Girl. Um, it's what Kramer. Chandler is on Friends. No, no, not Kramer. <laughs> no, I'm saying someone who actually can right, say right. very written comedy writer lines. Mm-hmm. Kramer's all physical, so yeah. Right. So it's it's like it's it's somebody who actually is like just um it's uh it's uh Sasha Mamet on Girls. It's like it's oh, okay. it's yeah it's 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 character that doesn't quite exist in reality but is sure. is is, is sure. speaking like a writer's room and so for this scene i'm like okay they're giving you know so i'm worried about the reboot because it doesn't have samantha who gets to say all these very written lines but you know this is them giving those to miranda whereas like charlotte can't have those lines i f- i fully agree with you and 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 i i want to get your thoughts on the revival at the end when we wrap this up but i i, I would agree with you that part of what makes this show work is the four of them. And right. it's not just um, the, the importance that Samantha has as a, as a character in terms of the dynamics and in terms of the universe, but in terms of the balance is sort of what you're getting at, right? Which is that yeah. idea of, of what sort of, what boxes this character checks um, is, is really important. But um, so speaking of Samantha, she's invited into a threesome by two of her gay friends. They want to finally have sex with a woman. Samantha has a line where she says, soon everyone will be pansexual and she's not necessarily wrong. Uh, it does feel... <laughs> oh, I, I do want to talk about that line. Yeah, I wrote it yeah. down Because I wrote it down. It was very striking because it was, <laughs> it was about, you know, because it was, it was speaking to our world right now. So she says, mm-hmm. um, she says, the new millennium, will not be about sexual labels. It will be about sexual expression. And when that happened, when she said it, I'm like, wow, profound. And then I thought about it. And I was like, oh, well, actually, like, that's not true. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, but like, I, I, it's true at the time that she believed it, but, I, but for mm-hmm. a moment I thought it was profound. And then I was like, oh no, it's like, I, in the way that we were talking before that there still is, still feels a little bit taboo for ever, for, I mean, I'm not speaking for all people, but it feels like when I'm talking about public discourse for people to specifically talk about um, sex acts that they engage in though. Um, but, but I feel people are more comfortable being able to define themselves in ways that like, perhaps they were not in 1999. Um, but, but like the idea that like nobody is actually caring about how they're identifying and what they're being labeled merely about what it is that they're doing. I think like, yeah, it, while it sounded like extremely prescient when she said it, I was like, I was like, the reality is it doesn't feel like it's true at all. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think we have a lot more labels now, which is not necessarily a good thing, which is, yeah, which is not, not, not what Samantha wanted. But, but I, I, I think that, I think what you're tapping into and what I tapped into as well in this moment before, you know, the, the, we'll continue on the storyline and it obviously doesn't go the way that she wants it to. But, but I do think that it does speak to the open mindedness of care of, of uh, Samantha's character. For sure. This idea of this freedom that she believes that she has, which, which quite frankly, she, she does sort of have, but then, you know, kind of eats her words a little bit later. But I just, I think that there's something very, um, uh, progressive about it. And in that moment, I imagine when this episode airs, you know, it that might have felt like a really big thing for, for a character for to sure. say. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, I, 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 in this rewatch, I found myself, Samantha's character, I think might arguably be the hardest character for them to write on the show. She's much more of a high wire act than I feel like any of the other characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of not making her, her a caricature, making sure she doesn't ever tip into that place of feeling like a cartoon character of just this like naughty sex crazed lunatic. Um, but also at times they tip her in the other direction where she becomes a little bit too emotionally involved in things and becomes a little too, I don't want to say fragile, but just sort of emotionally, you know, fragile. Um, so there, there's, there's something there that I think is really interesting on Samantha's character and, I, I feel like the series does a great job with her. The movies don't do a particularly good job. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't begin to know why Kim Cattrall doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Um, that's obviously drama that's far outside my purview. But um, but I but the show will be lesser for her not being on it. And I think that she speaks um, for a very interesting group of people. I, I I think there was something really striking about the choice to make her 
to build a character into this group of four who is older. Yes. And I was thinking about like, yeah, thinking about if this show existed today new, like, right. and you were casting it, that that does feel like a, a bold, smart choice that mm-hmm. not a lot of shows do that does not exist on, on girls. It doesn't exist on friends, new girls, Seinfeld, yep. whatever. So, mm-hmm. so there is something about that, something about somebody being both their friend and being wise um, mm-hmm. in some ways, and mm-hmm. then allowing her, you know, allowing her to be a little bit of a Statler and Waldorf character in other ways, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. being able to, you know, stand on the sidelines and comment on everybody. But, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is. Um, yeah. I think it was interesting that they were able to, try to find depth for her, try to give her pathos, try to like make her um, more well-rounded. And yeah. And I think there is something that it does that will feel lesser because there is something about, you know, there is something about the world that she was able to see like it where I mean, it's interesting because then, because then everyone in the reboot will be older than Samantha is, you know, in these episodes by by a lot. So, so everyone will be not experiencing the the world as if the world is built for them as they do right now. But right. still, there's a lot that Samantha being, you know, being in a different place in her life and experiencing different things, and it, it would be, it, it does feel like, yeah, I'm sure they will build out somebody some some other side yeah. character I'm or assu- something i'm assuming but... there will be there there will be either you know stanford's character will get built out or any number of other people can can perhaps fill some of the um uh that sort of vacuum that she's going to leave but um samantha's character decides she has a little bit of a uh she's a little nervous about having this threesome but she goes through with it anyway uh, the Davids are all uh, into it until they get basically to her genitals. And then they're like, we're good. We don't yeah. need this. Um, and uh, and she feels a little rejected by it, which is what kind of motivates her to go into this uh, tantric uh, sex class, which to your point also feels a little bit not Samantha. Like, I don't necessarily know that she would care particularly. Um, so she's a little meek in the tantric sex scene when right. i imagine it would be the other way around and i think this this speaks to what you're talking about which is we'll give miranda a bunch of jokes in the tantric scene so it won't feel as though she didn't really do anything in this episode um but to your point it's it's odd and it, it it's it doesn't it doesn't totally work um and then and then ultimately samantha's storyline just kind of just wraps itself up and that's it she goes to the, there, there's really there's no there's no like wrap up on the character we never checked back in with her no it really it really felt that she was going to yeah it really felt like there was going to be a turn tantric sex class yeah there wasn't yeah um so let's get into the sort of the meat of the episode which is the carrie storyline which is Mm -hmm. uh she meets this guy patrick uh on on the basically he's just standing on the street smoking a cigarette and he flicks the cigarette and it and it hits her and it's a it's it's a lame me cute. I mean, I, I did not really. I don't know how you felt about it, but it didn't really I, I think the only thing that was super jarring was seeing seeing smoke, like seeing smoking <laughs> yeah, in that way. Um, they, she was smoking in the scene before too. I don't know if that was like, but it was it was she smoked it was a her, lot on the show. <laughs> but it was her referencing being the last smoker yeah. in New York, and then and then how into smoking they were. But no, it was it was a bad yeah. meat cute, and it was. Uh, but he also he also was kind of a dud of a guy. Like it just yeah. yeah. It's it's you know it's interesting. The previous episode was um, shortcomings, which is the Justin Thoreau episode where mm-hmm. he suffers from premature ejaculation and his mother is Valerie Harper. And you're just like you've got these two just like one two punch of great guest actors for this episode, and then you come into this one, and you're like, Who, who's this guy? <laughs> like this right. guy just he doesn't register really anything. He's really kind of and I I don't mean to rag on the guy, but. It's just to your point, guest actors are so important on this show in particular in these first couple seasons where you have a revolving door of characters and you've got to make sure that they pop. Um, and obviously the litany of people that have been on Sex and the City from Will Arnett to Justin Thoreau to 
you know, um, Bradley Cooper had his first acting gig in an episode from the second season of Sex and the City. So like it, it was a real breeding ground of amazing actors. This guy just sort of he's a film composer. Uh, he seems a little bit nervous around her. We don't really get why. This is also the, the part of the storyline that I think they kind of bungle, which is. She doesn't get why he's not calling her back. He They exchange phone numbers. They hang out a bit, but something seems off. And they drag the something feels off a little too long as far as right. I'm concerned. Yeah. So then when the reveal happens, which is that he's an alcoholic and he's been smoking outside his AA meetings, happens, it it's jarring. Like, it, it's just a very weird tonal thing in the storyline that just doesn't it's, totally work for me. It's a very, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And that's where it sort of feels like there are a few stories jammed in. Yeah. Um, with each other because there is they build out this mystery and it's quite um, and they they build it out in quite a few places of like you know it's 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 why is he calling you back and then they keep having these these dates and it's like this episode is clearly covering a very long time <laughs> but when the when the reveal had because you because you see him on she sees him on the street you know after he doesn't call her back um, mm-hmm. and um, and you know he's very uncomfortable seeing her and. There are so, you know, so many answers to why that could be. I think she speculates that he was with his boyfriend. There was a lot of things that it could be. And it did feel like standing outside an AA meeting was very unsatisfying. And um, yeah, just it, it was not, you know, if the story existed if they weren't building that out as a mystery, she knew she met this guy standing outside his AA meeting and, you know, and you establish the rules very early. Like part of AA is I can't be in a relationship for a year. Then you have that tension going through it. But, but this thing, they're really for multiple scenes building out a question that when they answer it feels odd and off. Yeah. It's, I I agree with all of that. It, It just, it's, I also think, if I'm being completely frank, and I don't mean to be overly sensitive, but alcoholism is not really like funny. <laughs> like it's it's kind of dark subject matter, and this character is grappling with some pretty dark things. And you know, him, he doesn't want to kiss Carrie. They go on several dates. She doesn't get it. Why doesn't he want to kiss me? Why doesn't he want to kiss me? And then he explains to her that he's never had sex sober, basically, and he just mm-hmm. doesn't really know if he's going to be any good at it. Um, that's that's a pretty heady issue, right? Like that, that there's some deep stuff going on there. And I'm not saying that they don't want to talk about it at all, but they don't want to talk about it much. And they really want to kind of mine it more for the jokes than they, which is again, it's a comedy and I get that, but I just found myself just feeling like a, I did wish that there was a better actor that could sort of really kind of get a little bit more into this. Um, because I felt for the guy on, on a purely like intellectual level. I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. feel for him on an emotional level because A, Carrie's making VO jokes about the guy and B, this guy's just, you know, not really bringing it. So it's just like, it's... Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, it's... it's. I, I think that, yes, I, I agree that alcoholism isn't funny, but I do think that there is there's things to have explored with it and instead they kind of explore nothing. Yeah. Like yes. there's, uh, you know, there there's, there's the... Un- there is the possibility of scenes where he is trying to unburden himself from living a life that is very different than hers. Like having gone through stuff, having really experienced like a big rock bottom in his life and carry like, you know, having to be emotional, like they make, there's a big moment in the episode for Carrie in which she, um, she, you know, gives him her phone number, which she never does, which I just didn't buy, buy the emotional second, stakes yeah. that of that. But if, but if that yeah. was setting up a point where she is allowing herself to be more put, put herself in a more vulnerable position and, and you ride that out a little bit more like that, that she, you know, takes on a certain codependency or something. I don't know. There was something that it just, it, it was less that they played as alcoholism for laughs than that. They just played it as a plot point. And, yep. and it, it, in every direction they could have gone, would have been more interesting than kind of just having that kind of be just this line, you know, this, this, this like 
cardboard cutout of a feature of a person. There's also, yeah, I, I, a hundred percent. I agree on all of that. There's just, there's kind of this, there's this moment where they meet outside the AA class and he says to her, you know, I'm three weeks away from. It's not a a class, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) A meeting, my apologies. Uh, They meet outside the AA meeting and, uh, and he says, I'm like three weeks away from getting something or crossing some sort of a threshold. um, And once I do that, then I'll feel more comfortable. And he's like, fuck, let's just go out on a date and i'd be like this is a red flag yes. like, this guy is saying i'm not ready yet and carrie's like no 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 i'm gonna push this guy into going out with me it's just like what do you expect yeah. but you don't understand i gave you my phone number yes. i'm carrie bradshaw <laughs> yeah. i smoke cigarettes you smoke <laughs> cigarettes there's also so they have sex eventually and and I got I got to ask you cuz I mean again you're more uh obviously attuned to the comedic world than I am. They have sex and then he's thrilled. He's like this was amazing. I can't believe how great this was. And he starts jumping on her bed and the scene just plays very strangely. It's not funny. Uh it, it's kind of weird. Um it's it's mostly on him because it seems like Sarah Jessica Parker from a blocking perspective is literally like hidden the whole time and you can't even really see her reactions to anything until he eventually sits down and it, it becomes a two shot again. But it's just it's oddly blocked, it's oddly laid out. The the the, the weight of the scene or at least the jokes or whatever are on this guy's shoulders which Unfortunately, he doesn't really execute. So the whole scene just feels kind of weird and sad to me. But maybe I'm reading too much. Yeah, I mean, there's yes, it is weird and sad. There's a okay. lot of it's it's yeah, it's 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 a little bit of the actor. But I'm also trying to figure out what he could have done in a different way. I mean, I, I think there is you're setting up some stakes of I've never had sex sober before. And there's I mean, I think comedically, you know, there's a version where like this rugged experienced guy at life is completely, completely baffled by everything. Mm -hmm. But the sort of jumping up for joy stuff, which is just, I mean, he has to know it's embarrassing too. It just doesn't feel, it it immediately feels like a very adolescent view of even what sex is from the, from the, writing perspective yeah he feels like he's been on another planet for the past like you know 20 some odd years it's very strange um the the storyline ultimately wraps itself up where patrick tells carrie that he loves her a week and a half into the relationship to which she obviously is like this seems crazy we should maybe take a break. You should go to a class. Um, and then he shows up in at her apartment in the middle of the night, drunk, strips in the in the uh, in the street, and starts screaming about how much he loves her and that that it was the best sex he's ever had. Blah blah blah. I just don't because know. he's addicted. He's now addicted to he's her. Addicted he's to replaced Carrie. his addiction sure. with Carrie. Yeah. Um, and then through Vo, we re- we were were told by Carrie that he went back to his AA meetings and he's. He's back on the wagon and blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess I'm just sort of unclear as to what this episode of television is trying to tell us about alcoholism. None of it seems particularly insightful to me. None of it's um, insightful. They, you know, it's like it's it's also it's it, it it's like one of those things where they it, it's I've got to imagine a room full of comedy writers Somebody has to know what an AA meeting is like, but it did sure. seem like they they cribbed it from other TV shows where you know that writing amends is a thing that also happened on Seinfeld. So you're like, ah, there's a there's a thing, <laughs> but um, but it was it, it, there was something that felt very, you know, it, it felt very false. Uh, you know, it felt false the whole episode. So it was tricky, and it's also like, I mean. It, it 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 gives you some indication of things Carrie could you know like like stuff on because I'll I'll say Big Sir sure seems like an alcoholic <laughs> and <laughs> and Carrie's relationship with him is very is very Addictive, like yeah. Alanani and so and so there is like stuff there there's so much more that could have been explored there and just in in it's not that it's cheap that I care about. It's that it's just like, it's, it's nothing. It's almost like you burned a storyline for no reason. Yep. No, that, 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 that's yeah, I, I would agree. It, it's, it's, it's a hodgepodgey episode that feels like it's trying to kind of do a bunch of stuff. And by that, I mean, kick the can down the road until we get to the penultimate and the, and the finale of the season. Um, and it feels a little placeholdery 
you know, a lot of sort of stuff that you're just like, yeah, sure. I mean, this will work. Um, <clears throat> I, there's this weird uh, factoid that I found out about this episode that I'll, that I'll read. Um, in 2007, the episode was in the news for being part of research conducted by Ellie Parker and Adrian Furman of the Department of Psychology at the University College of London. In a study released online in advance of its publication, it applied cognitive psychology. Parker and Furman investigated an audience's ability to recall advertisements under varying circumstances. It compared advertisements placed in Was It Good For You versus those placed in an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. The hmm. researchers discovered that programs heavy on sexual content actually lead to less recall of ads than appearing in commercial breaks and that sex was an effective tool for selling. Oh, oh they, weren't, they weren't saying there was product placement. They were saying they were literally putting commercials in there. Oh, Correct. interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and they realized that sex is an effective tool for selling to men. I don't think you needed a study to realize that, yes, but, yes. I, but I appreciate the... the, the Though there's, I, no, it, there's it, no titillating sex for, for straight men in that episode. You know, so, no. so yeah. So it's... I don't... Yeah, it's, it's like conversant about <laughs> um, sex. So I want I want to get your thoughts um, on on the revival um, real quick before we wrap this up. You know, i i want to I want to get your thoughts on specifically this, this revival, but I also want to get your thoughts as someone who works in television on revivals and how you feel about <sighs> the yeah. burgeoning IP. You know, obviously obsessed industry that we work in, but it does feel like we've had a lot of revivals over the last five years or so, I'll just say. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about it. I think it sucks. I mean, I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't think, I, I think that like, I can't, it's, I mean, I, it makes me think about what, how groundbreaking a show like this was when it came out to be about women in their twenties and their thirties talking about sex and that this is now sort of like, taking a slot from a show from like that. I, I like, I kind of don't, I, I it, it's a very odd time right now just to be working in film or television because of like being in the sort of like age demographic of like mid thirties to mid forties. It feels like that like executives are that age and that is who they're pro like, like they're like, remember this. And yep. I, I've, I'm, it's, it's, it's so fresh. I mean, it's frustrating from a perspective of somebody trying to like come up with new ideas and pitch yeah. new ideas. Cause if you can't, coming up with something great, isn't enough coming up with something original isn't enough. It's like you, you ideally want to find something, some, some way to spin a thing that already exists. But, um, but it's also that, and I, and I think this is where the movies for sex in the city got into trouble. And I think but I mean, trouble is such a relative term. Yeah. I'm sure there are massive successes, but like it's, it's fan service. And, um, and we, we as audience think we want fan service. We think we want what we want, but like, but there's a reason that, you know, but, but it, it keeps us from being surprised. Like, you know, you, you, a fan of sex in the city, think what you want is for big and Carrie to get married. But like that's not what the show is, and they shouldn't be. And so, and so that is just like a like a very. And I know like he's not going to be in the reboot, and so like mm -hmm. that. But I, that's probably more about contracts than anything else. But it's like, but it's 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 this sort of belief that um, that that there is a desire to like, like that we're playing with action figures, and then we're like we're we're just jumping to the like the fun candy parts of things. And that to me is, um, it's, it's, it's just, it feels very corporate and callous and, and, and like selling breakfast cereal aspect of, of what we no, do. I, I mean, I'm in full agreement with you. I, I, I guess the, the, the question that I ask myself when stuff like this is announced is, you know, who is it for and why are we doing it? And and I think that, you know, as a, as a fan of this show, as a fan of many shows, I mean, there's a part of me that very much wants an Aaron Sorkin written series finale for The West Wing. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I know that I want that, but I also know that that show has been off the air for quite some time. You're going to have to yeah. go through, twist yourself into pretzels in order to get yourself to a place where you're back to zero again, where you can then hopefully be able to, it's just, it's just not worth it in the greater scheme of things. I mean, I know that there were a lot of Gilmore girls fans that were really excited to have Amy Sherman Palladino write that revival for, for Netflix and to, and to sort of right. do that. 
um, proper quote unquote ending to, <clears throat> to a beloved show. I understand the desire to want that. Um, but, but we also sometimes need to be left wanting. And I know that from a corporate perspective, that's antithetical to everything that they believe in, but like, yeah, sometimes that's what's best for the show. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, I love Gilmore girls. I accepted that Gilmore girls petered out like most TV shows petered out. Sure. But I, I, I liked the reboot less than I liked the Amy Sherman Palladino list seasons of Gilmore girls because they were trying to, because they were just trying to hit all the, like, just, just, just hit all of these things. Like I, I didn't, what a pr- enjoy that show because I, you know, you think about it's like it's like you watch old episodes of Happy Days and Seinfeld, and like when Fonzie comes in, the huge applause comes from the audience. Like I don't need to watch TV like that. I don't. I don't need. I'm not like I don't need to have the oh my god it's them moment. I I I think that like I I think about um. Friends is probably being the like the one sort of show that probably won't get rebooted because of various uh, complicated. They depressing, can't even get this depressing get this, reasons, but like yeah, this unscripted thing they've been trying to do. They can't seem to get but that. Out. Boy, would I hate that show! Like, boy, <laughs> would I not want to see, not want to see fifty-five yeah. year old friends yeah. i mean boy do i not want to see that yeah. and and but yeah. but that they're giving everything they're giving us everything else and it's 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 yeah. not great it's it's not great i mean i i and, and the, you speaking of corporate stuff does make my brain go to this place of i think there's a, a reason why this revival is on hbo max and it is not going to be on hbo proper i think that the the hope being to pull people over to HBO Max, you know, is this a cash grab? I hope not. I hope that they have something legitimate to say. There's a part of me in my in my head that believes that um, perhaps there's a version of this revival being about what it's like being a single woman over 50 in New York City. If that's what they, if that's a story they want to tell, I think there might be an interesting show in that. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there were rumors that the third movie, which never happened, was going to be about Big after he died of a heart attack uh, and it was going to be about Carrie dealing with the fallout of that. This all seems like pretty heady, heavy stuff as far as I'm yeah. concerned. But but if they're genuinely interested in finding laughs and finding humor and solace in that universe, I'm all for it. But if they think that I want to see a threesome, the three of them just kind of I don't doing the same antics again. I think they're, I think they're wrong, <laughs> but I mean, I, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it all feels like the, it all feels like the Uber Eats Wayne's World commercial yes, yes, where it's like, yes. I, I remember yeah. when, I remember when yeah. Wayne's World like reunited for like the SNL, like 40th anniversary. And it's like, oh, I wish that it was a sketch about what it's like to be older and still be like Wayne and but it wasn't it was as they were trying to pretend it happened seven minutes after the last Wayne's World sketch and I get the impetus to doing that but it's 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 comp like I I I would not mind yeah I would not mind the Sex and the City reboot that is a different tone a different vibe I mean that is like frankly more, yeah it's just it's just it's just about more about middle age and and mortality mortality yeah. but but yeah. i i i question if yeah, I, I, I i question if that's gonna hit the the fan hit, base hit the fan base <laughs> and that, that that is ultimately going to be allowed yeah. or it's going to be a little bit more like dressing up in those old like it's like it's like mm-hmm. we you know we that we don't that we have to we have to track what it is like to sort of live in this sort of um, like repressed adolescence of, yep. of, of, of like Carrie who does not quite, you know, who I'm, doesn't grow up. I, I fully agree with you. I'm also in my head, speaking of revivals, there's a part of me as well that feels like, I don't know if you watched the second revival of X-Files that they did, um, but they no. did like they did two bouts of them. And anyway, in the second one, they planted two FBI characters into the show, uh, one by played by Lauren Ambrose. And I unfortunately don't remember the actor's name who played the male character. This was all a very obvious attempt at, at planting characters that they could 
in theory right, make a right, television right. show off of. Um, I will not be shocked to to see a a new group of of young women on the Sex and the City revival in the hopes of being able to perhaps create some sort of a spinoff show as well. Yeah. So there, there's just there's there's it's all very corporate. It's and it is it's the antithesis of of creativity and all of that. The Wayne's World thing did make me think of something, which is the other day I was looking up of all things old top 10 lists uh, from Siskel and Ebert. And Gene Siskel had Wayne's World <laughs> at number seven on his best of 1992 list. And I was just like, good for Gene Siskel. I buy it. I buy it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I want to thank you for coming on and talking about sure. all of this with me. I really do appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and, we, and obviously we, we look forward to, to having you back in the future. Great. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Jan Katas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.